Welcome into Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Gavin Shaw. Across the river, he is Alex Wolf. The Knicks, after a spirited first half, suffer a 122-102 to against the loss, loss that is, against the inexplicably hot-shooting Detroit Pistons. And it might not be so inexplicable when we get into the game details, but Frank Milikina had a standout game on offense and defense. And R.J. Barrett had a standout night passing the ball. Julius Randle sort of rediscovered his shooting touch, even if he didn't rediscover all parts of his game. And much more uh, coming up on the breakdown of this game next on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind, Kevin and one. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Becomes infectious. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Schultz. He is Alex Wolf. It was a 122-102 to 102 loss to the Detroit Pistons. The Pistons somehow shot 15 of 30 from three-point range, which I would have to go back and check. But I, I feel like, given the history of the Pistons, that might have never happened in franchise history. So the Knicks were, I think, after a well-played first half, slightly victims of just exceptional shooting from Detroit. I actually thought they deserved to be up by five or ten after half number one. And then just sort of wore down and fell apart, as they've done quite a few times this season, over the course of the second half. But Alex, at least to me, I mean, feel free to start wherever, but I I thought the story of the game, the one I'm choosing to focus on, Frank Nilakina is spectacular, as you noted pre-show, and I I totally agree with you, one of the best all-around efforts of his career. Well, if we may just quickly uh, recap, just oh, from the game action painful. itself. Yeah, sure, go for it. I mean, the thing that really turned the game over was the Knicks had just tied the game at 69-69, very nice. Yeah. And, you know, it, things seemed to be looking up. The Knicks were kind of on a run. It seemed like they might finally take the lead. And then the Pistons scored, I think it was like four or five points after the Knicks had tied it. But it was like, okay, still within, you know, still within, you know, reasonable distance. And then uh, Markeith Morris, I think it was Markeith, right, takes a takes a three pointer. Julius Randle contested late and ended up in his in his landing zone. But Randle sort of lazily like shuffled towards him to foul him. And then they went in and they looked and determined that he intentionally tried to invade Markeith's landing zone, which it was pretty clearly unintentional, and he wasn't even really making a play. He was just kind of doing his due diligence and shuffling out to pretend to contest the shot. And uh, and so that got called a flagrant. So then that turned into a four-point play. Then the Pistons got the ball back, immediately scored, and so it essentially became a six-point swing. And from there, the Knicks never really recovered. I mean, I can understand if that's a rule that they want to start enforcing now because it's obviously pretty important for player safety and their ankles and everything else. Ankles are integral to, you know, playing basketball, obviously, so I can understand defending the landing zone, but I thought it was just a common foul. I thought it was stupid to call it a flagrant, and that just literally seemed to, like, blow all the wind out of the sails of the Knicks. I I will say, like, it definitely, it seemed to affect Julius Randle, which is becoming a trend with him. 
uh, where I think that things get in his head a little too easy uh, because there's already been a number of times now where uh, different things throughout games get under his skin, and I feel like it affects how he plays for literally the whole rest of the game. And it, it sucked because he was actually cooking this one before that. Um, he had 17 points in the first half and ended with only 20. So not a not a great overall showing for him. Um, if you consider, you know, how, how well he started in the first half. Uh, but, yeah, to get back to Frank after that little side note there, I don't know, do you have anything else to add on that horrific flagrant foul? No, not a lot. I mean, it's just one of those things where, and I, I hate to, to be the uh, tough luck Knicks guy, but just the way the season's going, I think, I mean, it's not only a Knicks thing. It's, it's just in sports in general and basketball in particular. When you can, when, when you've had the same thing happen time and time again, where they've lost all these pretty close games that they were well in down the stretch, I, especially with a young team, I think that really wears you down psychologically. And you can just sort of see it in their faces after that play. Like they were, they were sort of done. They kind of waved the white flag and Detroit just kind of pulled away. From there, and in a lot of ways, I mean, again, it sucks, but losing begets losing. And I, just from a big picture perspective, like I, I thought, even though, and we're, we're going to get into it with Nilakina and RJ, like really good flashes from their young players. And I hope that further drives home the message to Fizdale, hey, like even even if it's a guy like Jamie Dotson who didn't play much tonight, like you got to incorporate these guys. Like I, I think it's a different game if Mitch doesn't get hurt eight minutes into it or so. Um, I, I just he has to. We have to start playing these young guys like bigger and bigger and bigger minutes because what's going on right now isn't working anyways, even under the guise of playing as well as they can to win. Yeah, yeah, it's it's kind of wild. I feel I kind of feel for Randall in a way too because I think he's being miscast this year. I think they just really need to for sure. I, I think they need to start just running pick and roll with him and treating him like a big man and stop trying to treat him like Carmelo Anthony or something. You know, it's it's like. It's almost like Fizdale is, like, taking him and being like, you need to be, like, my, like, LeBron or Melo or, you know, whatever, like, prime, like, 2000-0 superstar, you know, and it's like, that's that's just not what Julius Randle is, and he's never going to be that, and they need to put that to bed, like, right now. Um, anyway, so finally gets Frank. Uh, Frank, he put up probably one of his best stat lines this year so far. Actually, I'd say it's probably for just this season, absolutely his best. 11 points on 5 of 7 shooting, 1 of 1 from 3. He had 4 assists, only 2 turnovers. Uh, he also had 1 steal, 3 blocks, and about a million disruptions on defense that led to other things for the Knicks. Um, his first half, I mean, really his whole game, but in particular the first half I thought was amazing. He played a team high almost 39 minutes, which was great. Um Hopefully that's a trend that continues even once, well, maybe not once Peyton gets back, but like once Peyton and DSJ get back, I hope they don't eat into his minutes so much that he's back down to like 15 to 20 again, because that would be kind of inexcusable at this point. Um, his, his first quarter and really the whole first half was just masterful on defense. He literally, he, he was completely influencing what was happening out there by himself just by sticking to his man so tight that he was creating mistakes because he was so tied up on his guy that the guy had no choice but to like throw a turnover or, um, you know, just make a bad decision. It, it put people in awkward spots. A lot of stuff, like we talked about, Frank, that it's it's hard to even describe because it doesn't really show up on the box score, um, and and you don't even notice it unless you're really looking for it. But just all these little things that honestly I've started looking at 
because of Spencer Perlman, uh, who's, you know, friend of the show, former NBA scout, all that. He's been putting up all these threads about Frank Nilakina and all the little things that he does on defense that you don't necessarily notice right away. And it, since I've been looking at those threads now, I've been noticing those things in game and like, it's really pretty wild the the level that Frank influences the game, even if he's not putting up stats. And like, if it's a night like tonight where he is putting up counting stats and scoring points relatively efficiently, then like, forget about it. He's, he's absolutely a plus player right now. Yeah. Uh, Alex, this is going to shock you, but I am in uh, total agreement uh, with what you just said. He he was, it was honestly, I mean, you got to take the stakes and the opponent into account, but that first quarter was one of the better defensive quarters I've ever seen from a guard. Every play he was involved with defensively, it felt like he had some kind of positive impact, whether it was getting a deflection. I mean, he, he had that one, I, I think it was the first time I noticed him all game, but he like flawlessly like switched off Kennard and then switched back and then was able to beat around a screen and somehow contest a shot that really he had no business getting to and just so many plays where he got his hands in passing lanes and just made it a little more difficult. And then on the offensive end, I mean, it's so clear how much quicker he's gotten when he's not hesitating and his shot, like genuinely, because he's, I mean, obviously he's poured hours and hours and hours into it. It looks good when he doesn't pause and when he doesn't think and he just sort of fires it up and it's little moments like that. And again, with guys like Spencer Perlman and, uh, Tom Piccolo on Twitter, uh, they're, they tend to reiterate this stuff and sort of drive it home. But on top of the fact that I, I think he's fi- refining the form he had as a rookie where he was statistically one of the best defensive guards in the NBA, there's a lot of reason to be bullish on him as an offensive guy. And normally my argument for Frank offensively is just look at how unselfish he is compared to everyone else on the Knicks. But I, I'm going to take it a step further tonight because I, I think the way he played deserved it. I, I, he has a really nice opportunity to sort of be what I think the exact right point guard you want to play around RJ, someone who can shoot, someone who's a really high-level defender, a willing passer, can finish in transition, but isn't going to force the issue and is going to sort of let RJ ultimately uh, be the guy who is the alpha dog on offense and dictating action. And again, this is just one game. Frank's had a bunch of games this year where he's missed open layups. He can't hit a jumper to save his life. So he has to do it consistently over a long stretch. But tonight you saw, I I think, if he could maintain this level over a long period of time, and and to me, given his age and the fact that he's just now getting minutes and getting confident, I don't see any reason to think that's implausible. Uh, He's sort of the dream guard I would build to play next to R.J. Barrett. So I was ecstatic about it. Yeah, I'm I'm 100% with you there. I mean, if he could play like this every single night, forget about it. Start him every single night. Like, I, I think he's earned the starting job at this point. Um, and he definitely would be fantastic next to RJ, like, going forward long term. Because, I mean, really, he could have even, if if he had adjusted his toe at one point, he would have been two for two from three tonight, uh, you know, to go with that five to seven shooting. And, like, that's the sort of stat line that, you know, could push him to the next level uh, as far as, you know, finally becoming enough of an offensive contributor that his defensive and passing and everything else, you know, just kind of like becomes an abundantly plus stat rather than just like a, you know, a net neutral, basically. Um, The other thing too, and I've mentioned this before on the pod is, 
like just the the level of which he controls the game, even for such a relatively inexperienced player. I mean, I know people would be like, oh, he's in his third year, but he missed like the better part of last year, like between between inconsistent minutes and injuries and everything else. He, he I, I consider this almost like it's his second year, if we're being completely honest. Like if he could play basically this whole year, because last year was just such a mess as far as he was concerned. Um with roles shifting and everything else, but the like gravitas that he has as the point guard and like the floor general out there is pretty crazy. Like he does things out there that I don't see anybody else doing or anybody else even really having the stones to do like with Randall and with Morris in particular, those are the two like bullheaded dudes out there that like don't seem to want to listen to anybody. And I mean, there was one instance today where Frank dribbled the ball down to to the top of the three-point line, pass it over to uh, Marcus Morris on the wing. And then, like, literally from the time the ball left Frank's hands, he started, like, gesticulating and being like, pass it inside, pass it inside, and, like, yelling at Morris. Because I think it was, like, Portis was open on the inside for, like, a split second. And if Morris could have fit it in there, it would have been a good layup. And then all of a sudden, like, Frank stopped, and then Morris knew, like, okay, i got to pass it back up to Frank to reset it, and he did. And I just don't – I don't see anybody else – getting that sort of treatment from their peers on this team. So it seems to me like, I mean, maybe Alfred would too, but it seems to me like Frank sort of has the respect of everybody on this team that like he's going to do what's best and make the team first play and try to get everybody set and get them their points. And and now he's finally, at least in this game, and I mean, shot selection-wise, he's been pretty good at like knowing when to call his own number about you know, seven to eight times a game as long as he's getting the minutes too. So I was, I was very encouraged by his, his game and, and just kind of everything today. It was like the total package of what you want Frank to be. All right. We're going to head to a quick break, but before we do I want to remind you today's show is brought to you by Indochino. Indochino is the world's largest made to measure menswear brand. You can start your style upgrade now with $30 off your total purchase of $399 or more at Indochino.com. When entering our code locked on, that is locked on all caps at checkout. RJ Barrett is a supporter of Indochino. Alex and I were Indochino. If you want to be as cool as RJ, if you want to be as cool as Alex, if you want to look better than me wearing the same shirt, go get Indochino today. Uh, absolutely. Uh, let's, uh, let's get into RJ Barrett a little bit because I, I thought, uh, despite a poor shooting effort both from the field and the foul line where he was just 6 for 11, 4 for 12 uh, from the field. Uh, pretty good overall game for him because it was his best passing game uh, of his young NBA career. Picked up eight assists on the night. And, Alex, you, you were going over these uh, before the show. Just the sheer variety he showed off really impressed me. Like early on he had two really nice lobs for Mitch, and that's something I noted earlier in the podcast and something I really harped on last season that I just wish guys were more willing to throw semi-difficult passes to Mitch that there's really only 10 guys in the NBA you would try to throw to because he is so big, he is so athletic, he is so long. There are a lot of times where when you drive, if you can get his defender to just take a step off him, if you just throw sort of an awkward, like, high-arcing, like, hook pass, he's going to catch it and flush it because he's going to get higher than 
um, the person who is matching up with him, and he's going to be able to go up, and he's going to be able to finish it. And so often last year, I saw guys were willing to throw conventional lobs, but that that's kind of why I was so high on Mitch. I was like, you know, with the right point guard and with the right level of passer, there's room for him to even be better than he is right now. And, and to me, to my pleasant surprise, RJ seems like the perfect dude to unlock that because he is he he has that basketball IQ that says hey this isn't really a conventional angle or a conventional decision but if I just kind of lob it up like he's gonna go get it bring it down and then dunk it and he had a few of those and then he had some other passes where he really put some nice zip and velocity on it and was able to get it down the court was able to get it in quickly and that's such an underrated part of passing it's not just it, it passing really comes down to three or four things. It's having the willingness to move the ball, the vision to see the open player, the accuracy to put it in the right spot. And then to me, what gets underrated so much is actually being able to put enough speed on it that a player can actually make use of it in a reasonable amount of time, given the type of athletes you're going against and how quickly guys close. And RJ is sort of the full package as a passer. He's all of those elements. And I don't think, I don't think he's a genius quite yet. I don't think he's Luka Doncic, LeBron James uh, type of savant. But he's he's honestly he's just like a notch below that. And and considering everything else he brings, that is I'm just ecstatic about that. You know, I'm a sucker for great passing. And, and tonight he he was really, really good in that category. Yeah. When I rewatched, I mean, I rewatched all of his assists on uh, NBA dot com slash stats. Shout out to them. Not that they really need it, but they've been, they've been really on their game this year as far as getting all the videos up like right after the game. If anybody's unfamiliar that's listening. You can go on NBA.com slash stats. If you go to any of the box scores, you can click on any counting stat and it'll show you every instance of that, like little clip videos. It's pretty cool. Uh, but so I, so I watched all of his assists and like, there wasn't a single one that I was like, Oh, that was like a gimme. Like maybe his last one, the Knox was like, he tossed it to Knox, like sort at the top of the key. Like it was a little generous to give him the assist there. But like, other than that, I mean, there was one that really popped to me that was like, he drove baseline and had the wherewithal to see Marcus Morris like for the uh like for the elbow three all the way across the court and threaded it like over and across like four pistons to get it to Morris to you know make the shot there and that's that's like next level passing i mean that's that's really good stuff like he's made he makes i feel like he makes at least one uh, pass per game, one assist per game that makes you think like, wow, this is like well beyond what I would expect a 19 year old to do. Um, I don't know for sure that we're ever going to see him be like a, like you said, like a, like a Doncic type player, but I just, I don't think that that's his game and I'm not complaining about that. Um, I think he's always going to be primarily score first. Um, but I think that he's going to, He's going to have a number of, of double doubles in his career, probably a number of triple doubles, if I had to guess. Um, and he's absolutely going to, he's at his peak, I, I would be willing to bet that RJ can average a season where he averages six to seven assists per game, um, without too much trouble, because I think that it, it's just part of his game. Like he's not, he's concerned with getting his, obviously, like he's been close to the lead in shots taken in almost every game this year. Uh, in this particular one, he was third on the team in shots taken for this game. But in general, he's almost always in that like 12 to 20 shot per game range. Um, and he, he's always going to do that, but it's, it's reassuring, like, especially on tonight when he kind of, 
it seemed like he could tell his own shot wasn't falling necessarily as much. He prioritized getting other people looks and, you know, that's smart and that's what you want to see out of RJ. So very encouraging game, even if like, Counting stat-wise is actually one of his better games of the, of the season if you're into that sort of thing because it was like 15 points, six boards, eight assists, and two steals, which is a is a really, really solid line and to only three turnovers. So I was encouraged. I just I really, for the life of me, can't figure out why he can't make free throws. But I have faith that that will come around eventually once he gets over whatever's going on in his head as far as that's concerned. Yeah, I still one last thing. I still hope his finishing gets a little more consistent because he he just he he still attempts some layups that are really high degree of difficulty. And I guess you can argue like I, I honestly like if he was if he was hitting eighty percent of his free throws, I wouldn't have an issue with it because he gets into the lane so often. It should still be efficient, but when you combine those two things together, it kind of becomes an issue. But I mean, obviously, minor complaints. He's he's been spectacular. Uh, let's move on to uh, Julius Randle. Uh, who had his best, uh, at least distance shooting game of the season. Uh, a guy who came into this game, I think somewhere around like 13% from three all no, year long. It was much worse. You right? Was it? Oh, I'm, I'm generous. Yeah, fine. Come 5%. On. He was shooing 5% on threes. Uh, okay. The, I mean, I this, threw, it only made I, one for the whole season. Uh, I just threw up in my mouth a little bit. Um, <laughs> I but, think it was actually like one for 19 because he was oh, like, no. not quite exactly 5%. It was like five point. Six percent or whatever. Uh, okay, but. I was trying to be nice to the guy. But <laughs> anyways, so that jumped up dramatically <laughs> after he went three for five today. Uh, yeah, good, good shooting night from him. I thought, I thought this was he still had four turnovers, but did a little bit of a better job attacking double teams by being a, a, a bit more decisive. Um, caught some good passes from Frank and RJ which certainly helped him a little bit, obviously. I mean, that flagrant, like you could argue, wasn't totally his fault. Uh, so pretty good game for Randall. Again, I just, I don't know. I just, I don't think he's like this world-changing player. I think he's like, he's a pretty decent player. And I think, not that the Knicks like way overpaid for him or they did anything wrong by signing him, but I don't know. He just, he never blows me away. What, what, what did you think about his night? Well, like I said before, I think he is being misused, and I feel bad for him in that respect. Like, I think he's having too much put on him to be this number one option and to isolate all the time and stuff when that's not really his game, even if maybe he wants it to be his game. Uh, but I, I think that they need to start putting him in better positions to succeed, first off. Secondly, his defense was in many ways abysmal in this game. Like, he... Outside of that flagrant, which was just a common foul, but it was a stupid common foul to begin with. Um, I just, I, I was not impressed by his D. He was put in kind of a precarious position because, like, first off, Mitch went out, which, okay, quick side note. If Markeith Morris, like, elbowed Mitch, it, Mitch got put into the concussion protocol. That's why he only played eight minutes. He played a very productive eight minutes, which really made it suck that he couldn't come back. But, if he has to miss both of the Porzingis games, which, as it turns out, happen both over the course of six days, I'm going to be really pissed. Uh, first one's this Friday. Second one, uh, I should mention, I keep forgetting to bring this up, we're doing a meetup a week from Thursday uh, at Penn 6, which I'll give more details on um, and, and you know, make sure to give more details for everybody on that. But we're doing a, a meetup for that next Thursday for the Mavs game. But if... Mitch has to miss both of those and doesn't get to go face-to-face with Porzingis. I'm going to be really pissed. 
anyway, Julius Randle, I think, struggled on defense because Mitchell Robinson uh, had to exit so early because it seemed like things were relatively working in the early going. I mean, Tony Snell was kind of going off and went off for the whole game, but other than that, like, it seemed like things were going to be manageable if Mitch and Frank had been able to play big minutes together tonight. Uh, and we were kind of robbed of that. And then, like, Bobby Portis couldn't defend a damn thing. And, like, Taj Gibson did his best. But, yeah, Randall was bad. And I think that, again, like I mentioned earlier, I think that flagrant kind of demoralized him a little bit and then affected how he played down the stretch, which obviously led to the Knicks getting, you know, beat really bad. All right, we're going to take a quick break. But just a reminder, there is a Knicks watch party coming up next Thursday. So keep an eye out for that. It is going to be at 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, next Thursday, which is November 14th, and it is at Penn 6 at 132 West 31st Street. Uh, it's going to be with us, Locked on Knicks, obviously, Posting and Toasting, my blog, uh, Knicks Fan TV, Knicks Film School, Hard Knicks Life Podcast, The Nickaton Show, and I've been told that NYK Terry and Trey will be coming by as well after the game since they are, of course, ticket holders and will be in the building for uh, the Snakes' return as a Maverick to the Garden. So, again, that is next Thursday, November 14th at 7 o'clock at Penn 6 on 132 West 31st Street. So we certainly hope to see you guys there. Yeah, uh, I was just going to note, I, I think, what what time is I think I'm going to make the meetup this time, so I'm, I'm excited for that. Well, that's good. That was yeah, nice. it's uh, like, I, there. <laughs> I think we're starting it at uh, seven o'clock or something like that because the game yeah. starts at eight. So okay. I will I will be there to meet the fans. Yes, <laughs> all the Gavin stands out there can finally come out of their caves. You can show up wearing a Chris Tapps Porzingis jersey, and we'll all sit together in the corner and get cheered. It'll be yes, great. Gavin Hive. Gavin Hive. I think you know our our guy Ives might might do it just to support me, even if he's a little little uncomfortable with it. Uh, he just likes everybody. I know. Dr. Ives, man. Um, <laughs> what else is there to talk about? Uh, can we talk about how Marcus Morris, uh, for one thing, keeps jacking up his trade value? So I'm great. I'm very grateful for that. Um, cause he's shooting like an unreal percentage so far this year. I don't know what it is after today, but, uh, I know that he was shooting, let me pull up his numbers real quick. He was shooting going into this game, 43% total, but 48% from three. Oh, and that does include, that's eight games. So that includes today. So that's, uh, that's pretty cool. Um, and hopefully that'll uh, jack up his trade value. I'd like to briefly comment on the fact that uh, he keeps, like, doing the stupidest possible things to earn technicals. Like, there was one point in this game where he he was on the sideline, like, you know, at the three-point line, and then went to go drive in, and, like, he got called for a ticky-tack travel, which apparently they're, like, looking for more this year. And he knows that because he's already been called for a number of them this year and got called for it, got really pissed off. He like knelt down, you know, like where like you like, you know, squat down with like your hands on the ball still and like sat there for a second with like his head hung and Andre Drummond standing there like, hey, man, give me the ball. Like I want to inbound it. And Morris literally just stands up like 
practically like winks at the ref before he does it and like <laughs> spikes the ball. It goes like 30 feet in the air and then he gets teed up and then he has the nerve to be like, why did I just get a technical? It's like, <laughs> because you just like looked at the ref, like complained about the call and then spiked the ball. Like what the hell did you expect to happen? Like they're at the very least, they would have hit you with a delay of game there, but of course that's going to be a technical, like <laughs> the delay of game would have been if you like, threw the ball behind your back or something and it happened to go into the crowd or something like that. But uh, it's just so stupid. I just, I don't understand what goes through his mind sometimes. I understand he's like trying to make a point or whatever, but when he did that, the Knicks weren't quite to the point where the game was out of reach yet. And then it felt like after that, it just continued to get further out of reach. And it's, it's just frustrating to see that the like supposed cool, cool heads, the old guys are like the ones that are totally sabotaging this whole thing I, I think I I mentioned this to you pre-show but I would argue that wasn't even his stupidest play of the game and there was another one where the shot clock was winding down and notoriously poor shooter Bruce Brown of the Spurs uh he took a contested three and it was it was like an air ball by four feet it's, it's one of the ones where everyone can sort of like take a minute off and cast their breath and relax and Morris, like, for whatever reason, he was, like, a little bit slow to react to it. And, like, something, like, some electric shock just went through him. And he jumped after it. And, at, like, the last millisecond pulled his hand back and realized, wait, I don't have to save this. But it was, like, I, I literally jumped up and it was like, no! And, like, my dad, like, jolted up. He was like, what? And I was like, oh, that was almost the worst play I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, yeah. So not not a great night for the uh, Marcus Morris uh, IQ uh, Foundation, which is a real thing. You can donate, though, if, if you so choose. But um, he did. He shot really well. So that was good. And his brother was uh, was as good. So I almost think it's 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 kind of dumb because he wasn't guarding his brother. But I kind of blame him for his brother having a great night. Like, I feel like he should have outplayed him. And because he didn't, the Knicks didn't even have an advantage, despite him having one of his better shooting games recently. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Quick shout-out to Kevin Knox. I thought Knox had a really good game. 14 14 points on 5 of 7, 2 of 3 from 3. I mean, I'm not even just impressed with the the three-point shooting and the shooting in general anymore. He's, like, he's getting to the point where I'm starting to think that his weird, awkward drives are always going to go in, too. Like, he just – he has a really – he's developed a really good touch – this year, I think, and it's encouraging to see. Like, if nothing else, like, he's a positive now, I think, but if he's scoring well, for sure, which is more than you could say last year because his defense used to be so bad that, like, even if he was scoring well, it, it wasn't necessarily a positive. Um, he's he's still anticipating better. He's forcing steals occasionally. Um, he's at least very opportunistic to, like, if a guy like Frank – helps force a bad pass or something, he's, like, you know, very in tune with, like, when to go after the ball now uh, on defense, which is good, even if he's still not a great man-to-man defender or anything like that. So I was encouraged by him. Um, also, we got a very different 21 minutes, well, 21 and a half versus 20 and a half, uh, very different outcomes of two players playing basically the same position between Bobby Portis and Taj Gibson. I don't know. Maybe you want to go off on this one a little bit, Gavin, because I know you're a big Taj Gibson guy versus Bobby Portis. Yeah. Again, I mean, this is sort of, this is the power forward version of the DSJ versus Frank debate to me. One of them will have a good game once every 10 games. And other than that, like really sucks. 
and the other guy just does good things every time he's on the floor. When he, even when he's not shooting well, and, and guess what? Like he hasn't had, unless I'm misremembering, like I don't think he's had a game all season where he hasn't shot well. He's efficient. He only really puts it up when he has a great look. And outside of that, all he's doing is setting good screens, communicating on defense, making things happen. While Portis is like, he, he's the like inverse of that where all he can do is shoot and he usually doesn't shoot all that well. So I just don't get it. I don't think Porter should be part of the rotation. I would play Knox and um, Marcus Morris at power forward a little bit more. I would bring Dotson or Trier, depending on the night, back into the rotation a bit, and I, I would just I would scrap Bobby Portis from Knicks fans' lives. Like, I think, you know what, he, he's the reason the Knicks have a win this year, so got to give him some amount of credit for that, but I would also argue he's the reason they don't have one more. Not 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 for this game necessarily, but cumulatively over seven seven or eight other games. I just... He, I just don't think he's good. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan either. I, I I guess time will tell. Like, you know, it's like we've said previously, like, I think he's just a player that you have to keep an eye on and understand that when it's not his night, you don't play him. Um, I, I think, unfortunately, the, the injury to Mitch probably screwed that up. Like, it seemed like Taj was going to be more of a factor tonight and that Portis might be getting kind of a rest, um, re, you know, at least relatively. But then once Mitch went down, it kind of forced, you know, Portis to have to be out there for a number of minutes because clearly the Knicks, they tried a small ball lineup with Randall at the five and that just didn't work very well. So um, I will fully advocate though for Damian Dotson over Wayne Ellington at this point, just, just like try it for a game or two and just see how it works. Cause it seems like dot, it ha- has a little more, a little more oomph to his play right now. Like he, he came in for like three and a half minutes of garbage time right at the end, him, Brasdakis and, and Trier came in all at the end of the game and Dotson out of the three looked like the one that I'm most intrigued for, like get him in there, like actually playing a little bit and see what happens because he had one of his nice little, like, like trademark motion, um, free throw line jumpers that went in. And I forget what his second take was. It didn't go in, but just in general, I think he's a guy that's worth giving some minutes out there just to see what happens because Ellington hasn't really been putting it together and his three-point percentage is pretty abysmal at this point. So, And that's like literally all Ellington is out there for and all that he does pretty much is shoot three-pointers coming off curls. So uh, I say just give Dotson a shot maybe as soon as next game if we could. Yeah, I'm, I'm in total agreement. And I, I'm just so impressed how ready he is every game, and it's such a small sample size, I might be overrating it, but it seems like every time he comes off the bench, he hits, like, not not in this game, but in general, like a deep three or some kind of deep shot, and he's just confident and in rhythm, and I want to see what that looks like over a larger sample size. Again, especially when you're not winning anyways, not that, like, Dot is spectacularly younger than most of the other guys they're playing, but I don't think he would be such a subtraction from Wayne Ellington that you can't play him and probably – better defensively. But by the way, can we not not to get sidetracked, but can we give Wayne Ellington a shout out for making a layup tonight? I, I didn't know he was allowed to do that. It, it was it was pretty impressive. Yeah, I saw that. I literally like I, I remarked uh I remarked on that and like when I saw it I was like, oh weird. And then I even like tweeted about it. I think I was like, wow, Ellington made a layup. Uh, it was it was very interesting. Very cool thing to see, I guess. It was like seeing a uh I don't know. I, I was going to say a certain mythical creature because it was the first one that came to mind, but I don't say that word anymore because of a certain former Nick. Oh. So oh, uh, it, it was like seeing the Loch Ness Monster. There we go, something like that. Okay, that, that, <laughs> I think that's that's given they're playing Dallas next. That's a good note to end on. Uh, so that's it for this edition of the Locked on Nick's podcast. 
Uh, continue to tune in throughout the week. Obviously, we'll have coverage of that Mavericks game against he who must not be named. Uh, show up uh, next week for the meetup, which the details were earlier in the podcast. I've already forgotten them, but it's next Thursday, so I'm, I'm really excited for it. You said 7. Uh, we'll be, be there at 7. <laughs> and it's yeah, gonna be 7 o'clock at Penn 6. And uh, look behind the curtain. I'm going to record a tease break for the first for the first break here. <laughs> to give more details. So go back to the first break if you want to hear details about it. Awesome. All right. On that note, have a good week. Have a good night. Have a good day, actually. Peace out. <laughs>